On the Choose to Think podcast, I will encourage and empower you to engage and optimize your best thought life in practical, meaningful ways so that you can live day by day in joy, peace, and God's purpose despite all externals. This is Victoria, and welcome back to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Did you know that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate among all mental health disorders? Yeah, me neither. That seems so hard to believe. Some of the more common eating disorders that you've probably heard of include anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating. According to the Eating Disorders Coalition, every 62 minutes, at least one person loses their life as a direct result of an eating disorder. Well, Today's guest is Laurie Ann Campbell. She's an author, a sister podcaster, and bulimia recovery coach who shares her journey in overcoming 30 years of bulimia. Her message is one of faith, hope, unconditional love, and victory. You'll definitely want to stay tuned till the very end as we dive in to all those negative, toxic vocabulary and thoughts and the impact they have on recovery and lasting freedom. Lori Ann has a podcast called Bleep Bulimia, and she is a bulimia recovery coach, right? And so, you know, as I think about this topic of food fixation, food disorders, this topic, and even especially now with COVID, the number of people who would just tell you right out, you know what, I've gained a lot of weight during COVID, for example, they would say that they've struggled with that. They've been at home, they've been munching more. And part of that is going to food for comfort. So it is a humongous issue. And oftentimes, I think eating disorders really aren't talked about. There seems to be some kind of stigma associated with those particular challenges that many, many women and men face. Could you just maybe share a little bit, Laurieann, about your journey and, you know, how you got to where you are now and you're on a mission now to kind of uncover that and expose that and certainly to extend your hand to help others and to offer a sense of hope and inspiration. So take us there just a little bit, share a little bit about who you are and how you got here. Bulimia would be something where I call a diet gone wrong. We start off thinking that, you know, I mean, in my particular case, uh, God bless my mother, but, you know, she kind of said, well, you and I are the only ones large in the family now. And, and and when I was 17, that meant, you know, you're exposed to all of these magazines and all that, because remember this was, you know, 40 years ago now that I started, oh my. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so back then there wasn't the internet, but there were the magazines, it was the, the television and everything. And so I had a friend who told me you can have your cake and eat it too. So why don't you, you know, this is how you do it. Not that easy. You start, then you think it's just oh, a way to control your weight, lose some of your weight. Uh, bulimia, unlike anorexia, we do not starve ourselves. There are some that do both, but I just, it wasn't something that I, I like food too much. I would probably equate bulimia more to an overeater, but we get to hide it because we dispose of it by purging. So mm-hmm. you don't see it. 
Um, not many of us get bone skinny. Um, we do get thin, but not usually if we're just bulimics because you do maintain some of the food inside of you. Anyway, going forward, uh, <clears throat> it was difficult because in the 1980s, there was not a lot of information. In fact, I wrote to the States and they had stuff on anorexia and bulimia seemed to be this hidden thing that they didn't really know about. So scaring people out of that, it would be, I just always equated to, you know, tell some an alcoholic to quit because it's not good for their health or tell a smoker to quit because it's not good for their health is not going to make them quit. It is a mindset, there's something behind it. Anorexia, uh, sorry, bulimia, I guess anorexia too, but we're talking bulimia, does become one of those. It becomes uh, what they call, some, some bulimics would like to say it's a, it becomes a habit. I say that it becomes even more than that, it becomes a mental health issue. You start to use it to numb your pain, to um, you know comfort foods, so if you're angry, if you're sad, um, so, and of course, if you're bored, but usually boredom comes from another aspect of a mindset that you're in uh, that you can't get out of. So I kept going. My mother yelled at me when she found out she did catch me. And uh, there wasn't the knowledge of how to deal with bulimics at the time. That's not a proper way. You're just going to hide it. You're really, you become really good at hiding things. And um, so onward I went, it just, it became bad. It became like a monster kind of thing. And it was really hard to get through. Uh, funny enough, you know, we are speaking here um you know god was my faith was really strong and one of the best books i purchased was about uh it was a, a christian book on uh the mind and the body and because of the mindset and the body and the problem is is as a bulimic you're disposing of important nutrients that are not helping the mind you're going to end up with the depressions you're gonna, so at 22 i had a severe depression couldn't see the future I had increased my binge purge to about 12 times a day. My parents had moved away. I felt alone. My boyfriend broke up with me and there was just like, I, it became uncontrollable. I moved back with my parents for about three months. That was about all I could handle because when you're on your own and coming back to mommy and daddy is kind of hard. Um, and then moved out on my own. I was doing better. I found a counselor doing super well, trying to keep as short as I possibly can, but doing really well. Um, and then I was getting married and funny enough, she told me, and sorry to my ex-husband right now, but she did say that he was not a good influence on my bulimia, which she noticed the pattern. And this is something too, you have to look at through recovery is the patterns because he would go away. He was like in the bush, he'd be gone for three months. I'd be fine. He'd come back and I would start my bulimia again. And she noticed that pattern. Um, there's the fear of control. We alone allow ourselves to have the feeling that someone's controlling us, but we let ourselves do that. And henceforth, when we feel controlled, we go to our food to say, I can control my weight, but that is the food is controlling you. It's just such a bad circle. And uh, so ultimately I did get married um, and it just, my bulimia continued. So on and on went through a divorce uh, that was really horrible. And interestingly enough, 10 years ago, um, after the four years, I went and got a I purchased a, an auto repair shop. I kept going though, you know, no matter with my bulimia, I kept going. Problem is, is that, you know, you still want to be a perfectionist. You still want to prove everything to everybody, your parents, to the people around you. Uh, I also said that we do have some, many of us have an OCD, which is also, you know, part of the mental health issue, which is not horrible, but it's there. <laughs> uh, and then I woke up one day at, at 48, I was staying with my sister because I'd lost everything. And understand, Victoria, you would understand this, is I didn't lose everything. I lost material. 
I didn't lose support. I didn't lose love. You found out who was really there for you. Went to stay with my sister and she kindly said to me, she said, you know, I know that you're still bulimic. I can hear you. And mm. she says, and I'm worried about you because I love you. Now, just quickly to say, I have three children, never bulimic through my children. For some reason, I felt the fullness of love and everything. So it wasn't hard for me to quit during those periods of time. But afterwards, the overwhelm too, the overwhelm of life. Anyway, at this point, I'm thinking, wow, I signed off my, my alimony from my ex because of situations and not wanting to be a part of that. I had no ties to that past. And I had to learn to, in the, in the present, there was nothing stopping me from stopping being bulimic. There was no reason. There never was, let me tell you. But those reasons that you argue in your mind, well, I'm uncontrolled, blah, 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 I'm going through this. But there was nothing. I had nothing to go back on. And I thought, wow, I have 48. What am I doing? <laughs> so that was it. I went for the recovery. You know, February 11th was my 10th year. And uh, one thing though, even through my recovery process of the 30 years where I would stop for little periods of time, my dream was to, when I come out of this, I'm going to help others. And uh, that means a lot to me. Uh, someday my dream is to have a, um, a retreat, you know, a home where they can have little bunkies and come and, you know, chat. Now, my main target market are women over 40. Mm -hmm. And reason being, they're the most embarrassed about being bulimic. It's um, unfortunately, Hollywood has almost glorified bulimia on their shows, which I find absolutely ridiculous because it is a mental health issue and they should not be doing that. And they make jokes about, okay, jokes I can say because when we talk, we make them. But, but when it's about you know people talking about it and making it light of it, it's not. A lot of people are under the, the belief that bulimia is only about losing weight and maintaining your weight. It is not. It goes deeper than that. So I want to clarify that. And the women over 40, I try and reach out to. I have a couple of clients, but they're seriously difficult to say, you know, it's okay and you can get through this. But the longer you go without scaring you, you are putting yourself at higher risk the older you get. And heart attacks are true to be anytime you're over 40. And let me tell you, the strain of purging, I can still remember when my heart would be pounding so hard, I wouldn't, didn't even know if I was going to be able to get to sleep or wake up the next morning. It was that bad. Mm. And, uh, so those are the things that are gone. 10 years of freedom where I can sit down at a meal. I can say my prayer and say, thank you, God, for the food before me. And I know it's not going to go anywhere but be digested properly uh, time with my family, the fear of food is gone, the fear of the time of when, you know, oh no, it's 20 minutes, I've got to find somewhere to, you know, all of that's gone. Mm. It's a huge relief. And oh, uh, I bet, yeah. I bet. Thank you for sharing this and for being so transparent and open. And I so admire your heart that wants to say, hey, I want to help. I want to use these ashes that have been there in my life because beauty has come from that and you want to lend a hand to others. Do you know 
approximately how many women over 40 suffer with bulimia, like in the US or roughly is that is what is the most common age? Would it be college or? Well, this is the thing. There's uh, sorry, I'm almost tearing up. Uh, they, the common belief is that it's primarily in the adolescence. So you're looking at some start at 12 years old, uh, you know, because of their body image. I know me, my body image kind of went off when I was nine years old. And yet the only reason is I stood on a scale and I was five inches taller than everyone. So obviously I had way more, but they thought that weight, they didn't put weight and height together. So my mind was there at the onset of that. But you know, through my teenage years, I was fine. But then when you get into 17, 18, I would think is the, the more common, the college definitely, because you're off on your own, that's been known to be. But remember this started to be, I mean, it's always been there. I believe my aunt had it and she since passed away, but she would have been in her eighties now. So for probably early nineties. So that's how far back it goes, but nobody knew what that was at the time, but it did come out and become more popular in the later 80s, people knew what bulimia was for the most part. So you're looking at women, I was like 18, 19, 20 back then, uh, they're still struggling with it because they take it from that. And then it's particularly, I believe, even more difficult once you're married with children and the overwhelm of business and this and that taking mm -hmm. care to find time. And I, I asked a few of my uh, of people that I know who have bulimia, I said, did you ever feel that it was also a time just for yourself to get away and all of that world of everything you just, you ate? Mm -hmm. It was, you know, an excuse to take time off where you don't think about anything. And they agree with that. So it, that becomes a more difficult time to quit. Numbers of women in their forties who have it, I don't have the specifics, but it is quite high, a lot higher than people imagine. And there's some women starting in their 40s because guess what happens? We have what I call adult puberty happening. It's almost the reverse. Now you're going to be going through menopause. Your body is changing just like it does in, in puberty time, except when you're getting your period versus then losing it. But all of those things, and they panic and they start to see, you know, maybe for some, they feel that they're, it's harder to maintain their weight. Uh, or their activity lowers and such. And so there is that trend as well of women in their 40s starting. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Okay, I wanna talk a little bit about the healing process for you. I have a feeling that when your sister said that to you, that that may have been a pivot point for you. And perhaps that kind of unconditional love and care that she was expressing to you just pierced your heart and took root in a new way maybe and offered an additional motivation or sense of encouragement for you to turn the page on that. Do you remember what that was like for you as far as did you have this conscious deci decision, I'm done with that now? I'm moving to in a different direction. So I absolutely agree. When my sister uh, said those words, it was very much a pivotal, pivotal point in my life. Uh, not only was it the fact of the love, the caring, the understanding, uh, the non-judgmental side of it, which is really important, uh, and and the willingness to listen to me if that's what it took to 
be able to open her ears. And it did sort of spark that, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I hurting other people? I know I'm hurting myself. I know that it was easier to hurt myself than hurt the person that was hurting me. That's uh, self-sabotage kind of thing. Harder to speak out in conflict. So I would just internalize it. And I realized that I can't do that. I, I need to stand up. I need to start loving myself enough. Not even just enough. I need to start loving myself in order to continue, get over this and realize that, you know, there's only one person that you're with every single day of your life till death do you part 24 hours a day. And that's you. How did your faith enter into all of this? I don't know if I would have made it through if I didn't have faith. I mean, it was always, and, and I know, you know, people will pray and I would pray to God, please, God, not today, please, God, help me through this. And even when I didn't, you know, it's not like I say, oh, God, why did you, you know, why weren't you there? Why did you make me do? No, it was never that. Because I know that I believe that there's always, there's a time, there's a place. If you go back to it, there's, you know, I'll still be there no matter what. Uh, so that faith was really important. And, you know, as I said, I, I purchased a book and the book was really, like, I literally went out looking for what's, what would be a Christian book that would help me out here? And it was one that spoke to the mind, the body, and really ultimately what it's about, your body knows when you're full. I mean, God gave us that. If we eat too fast, we're going to miss out on what God gave us as a gift of our body saying, hey, you know, eat slow, enjoy your food. You'll know when you're full. Your body will know. Mm -hmm. And just stop there. So it was like listening, you know, it was sort of what you eat. I know at the beginning it was, it's important because there's what they call trigger foods, like the ice cream, the chips and, and, you know, the junk food is what they call it. But over time you become so comfortable with knowing when you're full and obviously the quantities, you don't want to eat a whole bag of chips because besides which you're going to go over that fullness anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if I want chips or I want chocolate or if I want a hamburger, I can do that without fear. You do get to that point. And I really need the listeners to know you can fully recover. You don't even want to go back. If you think that you're, that there is no such thing as full recovery, there will be no such thing as full recovery, but there is, because I can tell you, it's not somewhere I'd ever want to go back to. I love the freedom of not being bulimic. Some scientists would say or suggest that it is our thoughts that create our emotions and feelings. And then in turn, it is our feelings and emotions that provoke us to act or behave in a certain way. And so if we can say, mm, I'm acting in a way I don't want to act or behave, we recognize that. For example, I don't want to be bulimic, let's say. And then we go back to the emotions that we're feeling. We kind of reverse engineer here and we, we isolate, okay, what am I feeling and experiencing that is causing me to want to go to food for distraction and as an escape? So then we start looking at those feelings and emotions, and then we take it one step further back into our brains and our thought patterns, and we ask ourselves, what exactly am I thinking that is causing me to feel these emotions that is causing me then to behave that way? And so, I mean, 
you know, I'm in the choose to think business. Every my friends like to remind me, and and I like to remind myself. So I know that this is also a biblical principle because God's word tells us that there's the power of life and death in our tongue. Well, those words that we speak first are thoughts. You know, we have to think a thought before we say it, and so that to me implies that also our thoughts have the power of life and death. So for someone who struggles with food fixation of any type or food restriction, avoidance, whatever the issue might be, what do you think, Lori Ann, are some of the thoughts that they're thinking that may drive them to that, ultimately to that behavior? For example, I'm so fat. Is that something, is that a thought that would probably be common or I'm going to get fat or I don't want to gain weight? So, okay, so this is what I want to do. If you, you and I can have fun having a little game here. Tell me what would be a good replacement thought for that? Like I, I don't want to get fat or I'm afraid I'm going to gain weight. What what would be a truthful thought that we could engage instead? In other words, we de-energize the, uh, the I'm so fat thought, and we instead replace it with a life-giving thought. Can you think of anything offhand? That's interesting, because what you're talking about really is toxic vocabulary, and along with the I'm too fat, I'm afraid to get fat, Along with those, usually there's a lot more toxic vocabulary in the mind. So ultimately, when you're saying I'm fat, you're also saying I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. There's all those other things that are buried, believe it or not, buried in the fat or buried in the fear of exposure. I think it, that's where it gets more in depth. Like when I would, you know, sit there and look at myself and, and the comparisons are just ridiculous. You can't compare yourself to anyone else. Besides which I always say, I posted this on Facebook. I loved it. And this is mine. I said, I can't compare to anybody, myself to anybody else. I'm too unique to do so. There's no one else to compare myself to. And it, it, it also has this self-defeating so that you know I'm going to get fat or I'm too fat means that it you're putting too much emphasis on food versus then you know like honestly I'll go through you know gaining two or three or four pounds I've maintained my weight luckily in the 10 years just because of listening to my mind but when I do go to two or three or four pounds maybe even five pounds and then you know I'll step on the scale go oh five pounds extra I don't panic I just sit there and go, you know what, that's okay. You know, maybe I should not eat five donuts in one city. No, I'm kidding. But I mean, you know, like yeah, I, I do 10 times. Sometimes I do tend to say, oh my goodness, I'm over at mom and dad's place and mom loves cooking and she's Italian. So yes, I'll eat a little bit more. I don't panic because I know that it's not even a control thing. It's like, I can make this right again. So there's a positive thinking. Um, I don't know if the fear of food is associated again with, with fear of so many other things. And it's just, it, it's, it's just a, a cover up the food, the fat is all cover ups for other things. And if they stop long enough and write things down, they would probably, who am I? 
what do I like about myself? What don't I like about myself? You'll probably see a whole lot of toxic vocabulary there that is concealed by using I'm fat or I'm scared of food. It's something deeper than that. Yeah, I love that connection that you made. And I also like the focus of shifting over to vocabulary that does bring life and positive energy. For example, I am something so simple as I am getting stronger every day. I am growing stronger every day. I make really healthy food choices. I drink a lot of water every day. For example, those kinds of thoughts to me would make really good replacement thoughts for some of the the other toxic vocabulary that we may have going. It's a shift in focus. And then as to body image, the thoughts that come to mind for me would be to remind myself, for example, that I am God's workmanship. He says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm his daughter. I am a princess, daughter to the king. Those types of thoughts shift the focus from, well, I guess it puts it on what does God think about me? I think it boils down to that. What does God say about me? And that is truth and that is life. What does God say about himself? And what does God say about my scenario or my situation? I think those are also important questions that we can ask ourselves to help us find the truth leads or the replacement thoughts to combat all of the toxic lies or thoughts that we may be engaging. And as far as the neuroplasticity of our, of our brains, the, the fewer times we get in those negative feedback loops, you know, going through that, going through that over and over and over again, building those grooves and hardwiring our brain, so to speak, the more we do that, the, the more quickly we do that and the more often we do that. And it's a, it's a, brain, it's a negative feedback loop. And to, to stop that, we have to recognize those thoughts. So I thought it was interesting that you said, you know, write those down, write down those thoughts. And that's what the, when the Bible says to take those thoughts captive, we, we've, you know, we've got to know what it is we're trying to take captive. If I have a lasso and I'm just going to, I see a whole bunch of little cows or little, you know, calves or whatever, and I'm going to lasso one, I've got to have a, a target. I just don't go out and sling the lasso around. So it helps to identify those, those thoughts and those lies and those untruths that we may be engaging that are habitual thought patterns in our brain. And then it's equally important, I think, after we do that, perhaps by writing them down, then we have some healthy thoughts and uh, truths to replace those thoughts. So let's go to you know, your healing again, and just on a, on a day-to-day basis, what did you, what would you say helped you the most, I guess? I know your sister's comment and that unconditional love and support that she offered, and you came to that point in your life that I'm, I'm done with that. I'm ready to pivot. It, it is of no, quote, value to me anymore. I, I, I don't want to subscribe to those old patterns of living. 
from there, what helped you or what did your healing look like from there, if you remember? Well, here's the interesting fact. Of course, I have three children. They're all grown. But at the time, I had moved away when I bought my auto repair shop and they said, mommy, come back. And of course, I'd lost everything anyway. So I thought, where else am I going to go? There was another little town I was thinking of staying at, but I came back. And then uh, that was part of the deal, too. But I think I was tired of being numb. And I even have, you know, I have a site called Delimiatic, and I've been journaling on that one, blogging on that one for 10 years now. And uh, I came up with that, uh, you know, it hurts to be numb uh, or it hurts not to feel. I can't remember what I used. Anyway, something like that. And interesting fact, once I, once I stopped being bulimic, the biggest challenge was how to deal with the emotions. And, but facing up to them, it was sobering and it was, it was not always easy. I ended up with severe anxiety at one point because I didn't know what the heck to do and I didn't want to go anywhere. And I didn't, and that's part of the healing though, was going through that, but I had to feel the anxiety. I had to get through it on my own. I didn't want to go on drugs. I'm thinking, you know, this is all the point of this is the healing aspect of it. Not everyone would do that. Not everyone would get into anxiety, but that was so much emotion coming out. Once you deal with those emotions and you come out the other side, it's wonderful. I call it, you get your sober cry. When you're crying, you're really crying because you're feeling everything. And, uh, and it was wonderful. Is it easy? No, because that's the whole thing also that bulimia, it numbs you from those. It's, it's easier to put it aside. I mean, you still feel it, but you do numb some of it. And this time, you know, you're on your own to do it, but it's living and uh, you, you love more and you care more and you feel more and it's not always fun because <laughs> loving and hurting and caring and hurting and all that but there's also the loving and feeling the love back it just opens a lot of doors when you just let that wall down and you've got to trust with care you can't trust everybody you can't just open up the doors but you can at least open up some doors with the people you're you're close to and uh just a better better feeling just mm, sober cry that is powerful it really is powerful and i would like to underscore the fact that our feelings and emotions are not toxic in and of themselves they're god-given and we you we can look in the bible at I mean, God displayed his emotions. Jesus displayed his emotions. We are human creatures made in God's image. And there's nothing, quote, wrong about feeling or about our emotions. They become unhealthy, I think, personally, if we kind of get stuck in that emotion, mm -hmm. if we get stuck in anxiety or depression or anger or frustration, if we get stuck there, then it be can become problematic. But... What a powerful thought to say, you know, I'm just going to feel these emotions. I'm going to go through them. That's one of the reasons that I love the Psalms so much, because David was so emotionally expressive as he wrote, and he poured out his heart to the Lord, but he always had a way of coming back around to, I will trust you, Lord. You are my creator. You are sovereign. You are the king here. 
He always had a way of starting with praise and concluding with praise, but in the middle, he just let it all go and let it all hang out. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to, to do that and to say that, hey, I'm going to have a sober cry with being fully alert and acknowledge, acknowledging simply how I feel and the emotions that I'm having, it's very, very healthy. Also, our feelings and emotions are like road markers. If we're feeling lonely, then that may be an indicator that we value being with someone and we value our relationships. So sometimes I'm learning to look at the emotions that I'm having to, and then I to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. So what does that mean? Or what do I value as a result of that? And for example, boredom, we mentioned boredom a moment ago, maybe I'm feeling just really bored and, and listless. Well, what is that a signpost for? It might be mm -hmm. a signpost that I need a little bit of adventure in my life. Maybe I need to take a road trip. Maybe I need to learn a new skill, try a new recipe. It, it's they're not in and of themselves bad things to you know to have emotions and so forth tell me how you cope with any kind of emotion that you're like wow um i don't want to be here how do you back that up or how do you actually process that outside of maybe having a good cry if that's what you need do you, is there any other way that you deal with your emotions, say in a practical way or daily basis, or I think you mentioned journaling, blogging, and your writing. I, would I, I love to write. I have my, my book finally got done. So it's up on Amazon as of yesterday. I was excited. Tell and us the name of that again. It's called How to Have Your Cake and Not to Eat It All Too okay <laughs> that's a guide my next one is uh not quite i think about a third of the way through and it's called sherry's world and that is a fiction but it is based on my life of 30 years as a bulimic that should be out in i'm hoping october and i just want to quickly uh mark on i do have a makeup not required how to brand the true you now granted as much as it's about branding interestingly enough i took some segments of that and put them in my how to have your cake and not eat it all too because it's about finding yourself and what we're talking about write down what you like about so find out who you truly are not what everybody else thinks you are who everyone thinks you are or who you want everyone to think you are because when you come clean with who you are you'll find out that there's actually a lot more better than bad and the bad has usually come in from the outside someone telling you the bad and i even love laugh about this because we were talking about you know the body and stuff one thing i do i lost my nephew when he was 23 of cancer and um he was a new father with two kids and the wife and i remember visiting him and he went wow you have eyebrows i wish i could have your eyebrows that's one thing i missed with my chemo i lost my eyebrows and then he was talking about being too skinny and not being able to gain weight. And then when he was gaining weight at one point when he was starting to get better, then unfortunately he, the cancer got him, but he was all excited about gaining weight. Whenever I go in and I'm almost like, this is hard to talk about. I go in the bathroom and I'll look at my hair and go, oh my goodness, that just looks awful today. And then here's how I turn around. But you know what? It's my hair and I have it. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, if you look at, oh my goodness, I'm 58. Oh, I got a little bit of muffin tops here. Yeah, well, Ross would have done anything to have my muffin tops and be here today. So what we have, we should be very blessed for, very grateful for, no matter what, because there's a lot of people out there, you know, with disabilities or whatever that are happier than, you know, the average person who has everything. And, and all we're doing is just focusing on that, focus on the good, focus on what you have. And I said, I know that that's not a way to say, well, that's easy and that, you know, by focusing on that, I'll recover. No, but once recovered, I was really, really acutely aware of what I was forgetting about. I was sitting there comparing myself to, you know, models that I'll never be no matter what. And uh, why try? And why should I be perfect to everyone else when they're not perfect? And I can't be perfect because no one is. So be you. Some people like might get on their nerves. So what? Then they're not worth being in your life. Be the ones that they enjoy you. You can't please everyone. Another thing that I used to have a problem with. I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted to please everyone. I had a hard time saying no to people. I'm still considered too nice by a lot of my friends. I'll say I'll take that. But I know when to say no and went to take care of me. Thank you for sharing that story about your nephew. That is so sweet and such a tender story. And that kind of pulls us a bit forward or a bit larger as we think about our mindsets and just the general way that we do life because everybody has hardships, but truly there is a way to be so grateful you know, if we complain about doing laundry, for example, or gee whiz, the floor is dirty again, or here they come, or nobody, you know, is giving me appreciation or showing me this, or if we go in that direction, we're forgetting things like, number one, we have a washer and dryer. Number two, we have running water. Number three, if the floors are dirty, that means I've got kids and loved ones who are actually in my home and in my presence and that I love on my family is here and around me now it's such a it's a way to pull back from those everyday nuisances or just the little things that make it under our skin and I think what you're talking about is maturity and wisdom that is can be kind of rare. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I was so wise when I was raising my kids and, you know, you, we all think that, right? If only I could have know what I know now and go back and, but we can't, but it's never too late to start today to do what is right and start today to try to take those thoughts captive, start today to begin to believe God's truth about you and your situation and who he says he is. It's never too late to, to pivot and to find, you know, the, the love, the greatest love of all, Fortunately, your sister spoke love to you and over you, that unconditional love. But the greatest love is the God we serve and what he sacrificed and what he gave. And if we really step into knowing that we're loved by God, it's still a little bit of a mystery to me. I know God loves me, but sometimes I think, really, God, you really do. You know, I, I haven't 
I'm not sure I enjoy that benefit, maybe as much as I could or should or whatever. I know it. You know, you can have the head knowledge, right? But having that heart knowledge and that heart change, I know he loves me, but, um, and I know I'm worthy of that love. I guess that's a part of it is, is knowing he loves us is one thing, but can you say, I know I'm worthy of his love. That's a little bit different. That's such a good focal point. It's pulling us out of whatever the externals are and grabbing this picture of a God who loves us and, and exactly how he showed himself, how he loves us. And that is, that is a real miracle. And that is amazing grace and love. And it certainly is unconditional. Wow. This is so powerful. And I'm glad, Lorianne, that we were able to kind of take the lid off a little bit, open the door for some women who may be struggling with food fixation, food restriction, going to food for comfort. And you are a bright shining star who is saying, you know what? Look what God did through me. Look where I am. Let me tell you that there is hope and that it can be done. I'm a living, walking testimony to that. Because some women, I think, when they're in that dark place, or individuals, when they're in that dark place, did have one little tidbit that I worked with. Uh, another sort of interesting story. My sister had uh, melanoma when she was 27. We were all afraid. She's still alive, she's doing fine, everything. But it was one thing that my mother said. She goes, you know, she drives me nuts. Her room is always a mess. She said, but that perspective where we remind ourselves that this is just temporary, whatever's going on is just temporary. It will end. And there is a bigger picture here and I don't want to miss it. So thank you for sharing that also. And tell us before we close how everyone can, where can they find you? Tell us your book and all that again. All of a sudden, that's something that you would miss if the person is not there. So all of those little things. So if my dog does something, because she's a little pain in the butt all the time, she does the same thing all the time. I go, you know what? You get me really pissed off, but I know someday I'm going to miss that. And it makes it easier to deal with those little everyday pity pity things. So it does. I to throw that in there because I love it because that's how I, I do it. That's how I deal with it. Because, you know, oh my goodness, I'm angry at you because you did that, but I'm going to miss you not doing that someday. So, yeah, it's a great perspective. It is a great way to deal with the frustrations and those emotions that we have. It's just adopting that. My main portal where you can pretty well find me on any one of my platforms, because I've got so many, but you can go to iambacal.com. There's a story behind that one, but anyway, that's easy. iambacal.com and uh, my books, I've got, uh, well, there's three. One of them is Hampy. It's just an illustrated one. The main ones though, Makeup Not Required, How to Brand for You. It's more than just branding and then how to have your cake and not eat it all too. It's a guide uh, for adult bulimia recovery. Again, my focus being, I also have a, a program that uh, I do coach and it's about 13 weeks and I'm 24 seven access on that, believe it or not. I can't promise I'll answer it right away, but there is 24 seven outreach because I believe in the case of bulimia, you go once a week, it's not enough. You, there are times you're going to need to reach out. So that's one of the, the uh, positives about my program. I offer that. Thank you so much, Lorianne, for being here. I applaud your efforts and your ministry and 
the hope that you are offering to so many people by inspire just the inspiration and by role modeling. I know that that there are folks who need to hear this. So thank you so much. And that's a wrap, Brain Changer. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please stay in touch. Come on over to my website. It's victoriadwalker.com. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Ciao.